Good to see you all here today. You too. <laughs> it's catching on. It's catching on. Ernie's got him about trained now. <laughs> oh, it's your birthday this week. Oh, nice. It's Ernie's. Ernie, this is Ernie's birthday, not Ernie's day. But he's told us how old he is. <laughs> 16 and 37. <laughs> Well, that's pretty good. There we go. That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Well, very good. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4. And uh, last week we looked at uh, verses 1 through 6, looking at uh, false teachers, false prophets. And today we're going to look at uh, an attribute that really describes God and that of love. And... Uh, the verse we continually talk about, which actually, if you think about it, this chapter, chapter 4 of 1 John, when you combine verse six, verses 1 through 6 with the rest of the chapter, literally Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, uh, speaking the truth in love. And really almost this chapter takes the same semblance of that, speaking about the importance of truth and then exercising love. With that, let's begin reading now in verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John. <clears throat> Beloved. Let us love one another, for, God, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But for perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he also, that, I'm sorry, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. And may God add a special blessing in the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we again, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. A day that's blessed, and one that is, is fully yours, Father. And we're here today, Father, to worship, to uplift your name to praise you. And Father, as we've been led in prayer by Paul and, then, and just uh, getting our wills in tune with yours, Father, may the rest of these moments now as we study the word, as we would ask for teaching solely and exclusively from the power of the Holy Spirit, we would ask that our lives, our, our minds, our hearts, every part of our being would be in tune with what you have for us today. Father, as it's your desire to conform us to the image of your Son, I would ask that these moments as well would be used in that manner to make us 
more of what you want us to be. Father, as John speaks very candidly about love, we would ask that our hearts would be open to receive it. And again, we look with the power that can come through the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching us using the Word of God to enable and to bring us to a full capacity of love. And Father, now we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> as we've been journeying through the book of 1 John, this little epistle, um, he has a tendency to do things that is very different than the way Paul did. Paul the Apostle was one that, he was very linear, if you will, or very logical. And he would start from doctrine, he would want to get right thinking, so that you could get to right living. But once he went through a passage, or not through a passage, once he went through a, a thought process, he basically put a wrap on it and it was done. He had set it away and he went on to the next one. John is very, very different to that. As you've noticed... We'll go through something, and then you'll go on to something else. And you know what? Zoom! He comes back to the one he started on, and we go through that. And Zoom! We come back, and it's almost like a triad of threes. Um, he's doing it again. And today we're going to be working, uh, looking at love. What are some other things that he's really talked about in this sense? God is... Let's just write. There should be like three of them you should come up with. There might be more, but I'm going to say the ones that John had. God is... Yep. And what's the last one? Love. Well, it could be the last one. There was three of them. I heard them all. Light, life, and love. <laughs> I've got Kurt totally twisted. But at any rate, light, life, and love. These are things that are dis de uh, descriptions of who God is. Today he uses something. It's, it's not only when you think of love, what do you think of? Um, just maybe a few things that are coming to your mind. I, there's a word here that he used. We're gonna, it really is surrounding our text in three or four different places. He describes it with, a, with another adjective. But what, when we think of love, what do you think of? Compassion. Compassion. Okay, very good. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That would be in the sense of the word that John uses exclusively. When you see the word love on the pages of our Bibles in English, it literally was transcribed from the word agape, which would be a sacrificial love. And, and let, let's say, I don't know if we've ever come across this. This is something that I saw this week that you would say that uh, unconditional, sacrificial love, agape love is love of the will. Not just love of emotion. Not love for someone that deserves it. Now, it's love of the will. You have brought your will under submission to love that person or persons that really aren't worthy of that. Do you see the difference? It's, it's really cool. And that's literally what agape love is, to love of the will. What else would you say if we think of love? Anything? A lot of times it does go that way, doesn't it? Someone that's in love, even from a, a romantic love, there's, there's a sense of a, it's a combination almost. But if you seek happiness, you never find it. Happiness is a byproduct. That's something we should remember. If, if, you're, on a, if you're on a pursuit... I'm pursuing happiness. There's a lot of people that are. They're going through their entire life. They're spending their entire life seeking happiness, and I will guarantee you they will not find it because they're looking for happiness for themselves. It's a self-sought trait. Happiness truly is a byproduct. And when one is loving, especially with that sacrificial love, love of the will, a, an unconditional love, literally, you know what? Mass, it, it 
sets up again, and I'm going to not do it today. It's probably the first time in all of the weeks we've been involved in 1 John, but 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, that you would be complete and full of joy. How does it come? With an unconditional love, a love of the will. Anything else as we think about love? That is really insightful. Go ahead. Sorry. We're all looking for love in the wrong places. <laughs> right? There's songs about those, aren't there? There's songs about them. In fact, I'm, I'm going to say this, that there's probably more songs, books, literature, uh, written, uh, communications of any, other, any kind of device about one thing than anything other, and I'm convinced it's love. Even I'm not, not, it may not be the right kind of love, but it's about love. Love is actually something that we yearn. Everybody wants to be loved. And desires to love back. Why is that? Why? But by the way, that's, that's, you were, I don't know if you read my notes, but you tied in perfectly. God just brought this perfectly. You, you saw them? Oh, good. <laughs> you couldn't have because I just wrote them. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about that. But I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, beautiful. That's abs- she did see my notes, right? And that really does take us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's go to our Bibles and find that again. We've been using it a lot in a, a lot of different uh, places that I've been involved in the last uh, several months. But I think it's, there's so many things that tie to this one verse, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And we'll start in verse 25 because it, gives, it kind of fills the context. If you will. Genesis 1 is all about creation, creating something out of nothing, God. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of them there in Trinity. One God, three personalities. God made the beast of the field, verse 25, after his kind, cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's just stop there for a moment. Now, when we see that, to make man in our image, usually our whole thought process goes to the physical aspect or the material part of what makes us us. That is not the idea there. It is about God made us in his image in the sense of the immaterial part, the emotional part, the love part, the self-conscious part, all of the things that you literally cannot see, the attributes of which he can communicate. We've been talking about this in True Seekers uh, numerous times. In the sense of there's, there's attributes that God can communicate to us, one of those being love. That's what we were center on today. As God is love, we also desire love and desire to give love because we were made in the image of God. I can't believe how important that little phrase is to almost every facet or function of who we are as human beings. It totally destroys everything that has to do with evolution. It totally throws that completely out because the things of which we cannot see literally are the very same things of which God imparted and made those uh, communicable attributes of which really literally are the unseen, the immaterial part. And it's amazing how we have them. Now, a cat doesn't have that. A dog doesn't have that. A giraffe doesn't have I can name all of the animals, and none of them literally were made in that, quote, image of God. They can't reason. They have no consciousness of themselves. They really cannot love. They just re- now, now, a dog sometimes, to some people, a dog can just love unconditionally. You know, like you could put him in the back of your, of your trunk, lock him in there, and get out, and he would just be happy to get out. <laughs> it's, it's a way different thing, isn't it? But it's still, there's still something that's very, very different about human beings. They are made in the image of God. 
The word that actually uh, is used to describe image is a, is a Hebrew word, T-S-E-L-E-M. T-S-E-L-E-M. And it means to carve out or to shape. Literally, it was like God, not only, it wasn't just, it was like he took time. I want to be careful I say this. It wasn't, it wasn't effort on God's part, but it was, it was the sense that this was special. It wasn't like just, poof, there's a hippopotamus. And it wasn't like, poof, there's man. It's like there's, there's something that made him very, very different. And he methodically made man like he wanted in the image of us, the Trinity. Now, the other thing is, is about that, in the sense of love, it's an interpersonal relationship. It's something that is relational. As you, as you take this, and then I don't want to, I'm going to, I probably get, get too far in here, but I'm hoping to just get the concept. One of the things that makes God God is the fact that he is fully embodied as one God, three personalities, never to be separated. You, you understand that there's a relationship between the three personalities. And that relationship is neatly put in shape of what love is, is, is described as God being. God is love. Love requires relationship. And when he made mankind in his image, he was desiring for this thing to go away. Um, he was desiring... How was that for ad-living? He was desiring for mankind to reciprocate or to, to let love flow back and forth. And what does that require? To be made in the image of God, which is also means their free will. To be free. To not be encumbered by anything, ultimately. That's the author of love. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 now. Is that laid a little bit of groundwork? We, want to, we, we, we long to love and to be loved. And that's the theme we have here. There's a word that's used to describe in three different places. I'm going to read verse 12, verse 17, and verse 18. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in, in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. In each of those verses, there was, there, was, there was three positives, and then there was one that actually stated the same from a different perspective. But love was pictured with a word that we want to focus on today. It's not just love. It's not, as we've been teaching all through this, agape love. But there's something else about love that's described in this passage. Verses 7 through 21 is all about keep it coming. In each excuse me, dwelling in love. In each one of those verses, there was a word used: perfect. When's the last time you were perfect? Well, at least you didn't lie. <laughs> oh, we give enough time and somebody's bound to lie a little bit, right? Okay. That was before you met? No, that's when I met Oh, that's when you met her. Very good. Nice play. That was a nice play, wasn't it? That was good. That'll, nice little anniversary present going on there. Yeah. 
perfect love. Perfect love. The Greek word, actually, let me put that up here, perfect love. Now, one of the things that when we say perfect um, is to mean it's 100%, never fail, never anything. Okay? In fact, you'll find the King James oftentimes that um, the word uh, perfect is not so much meant in that light as it is making of another word. Uh, for instance, the trying of your faith will make you mature, or uh, you'll sometimes use the word perfect. There's a Greek word that's used here, um, and it is... I think I'm right, but I have to. I wrote it down. I'm not very good at Greek. And yet I want to know um, the word behind. That's why a, a, a lexicon is so important. I'm not sure exactly how to say that, but I'm going to take a shot at it. Telio. Complete. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it means. So if we put it in this context, the, it, it, he is saying that we can have a complete fulfilled, nothing missing kind of a love. Do you remember when, uh, well, you weren't there, but if you go back to the Gospels, when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, and just as he gave up the ghost, his life literally physically ended, he said three words. It is finished. The same word for finished is an adjective or an offshoot of this. The, I'm sorry. The verb is the same base root word. It's complete. There's nothing at that. This is what I want you to. I think that's probably the most perfect illustration. Is when Jesus Christ is hanging on the on the cross for those probably six hours, maybe more, but somewhere in that area. Which, by the way, that truly tells me that he accomplished what he needed to do and he decided to die. Because if you're, on, if you're crucified, it could take days. Literally, there, it, it, it's so, such an excruciating form of death that it, it's beyond, if you study it, it is absolutely beyond belief, the human torture. But for six hours, as he hung on that cross under the cruel ex- execution and excruciating pain, when he chose to say, because it was just that, it is complete. There is nothing that could be added to to make it more complete. There's nothing remaining to make it full and complete. It is accomplished, completed, and done. Amen. And that's literally the same kind of concept we want to think about love. There's nothing lacking. And that's the kind of love we want to focus on today because it truly is God's love. Now, anyone that says that they, that they can love this way One thing is absolutely mandatory. There's no way that you could possibly have the sense of perfect love without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. There is no way without a God relationship that you can get there because you're not capable of it. You don't even have the capacity to give unconditionally. You really can't. You may be doing it. I'm speaking of someone that is outside of Christ. They may be able to do it for a short period of time because there's something behind that that they're going to want to get. That is exactly right. So it just is for really literally a show. Okay? To perfect love is really is rooted and nested in a relationship with God. Let's go back to our text. <clears throat> and, uh, oh, there's another. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is a, that, that is a fantastic chapter. Read it often, especially when you want some sense of uh, confidence in knowing that you are, that God loves you. In Romans chapter 5. And uh, we'll pick up the reading in, in verse 1. 
But I want us to pay particular, particular attention to verse 5 of chapter 5 of Romans. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, and we've talked about that numerous times, is the fact that you are declared righteous, being declared not guilty, when you trust Jesus Christ by faith, then we have peace with God. No longer we at enmity with God. We're not at war with him, as it's described in Ephesians chapter 2. We literally are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished. By whom? By Jesus Christ also. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, again, I, the, sometimes we, it, it may be a little bit trite, but at the same time, many to, uh, the, the sense of the attributes, uh, not the attributes, the um, Oh, it's thinking of accessory packages. If you're buying a car and there's accessories and you can add this for that and you can, or it might be some type of a piece of equipment and you're adding different things and it makes it more complete. It makes it more fun, more fulfilling, more, you guys aren't buying into this very well, but at any rate, uh, um, I, I remember you know, stereos and all of this. It's a moonroof and now, now you're starting to come with me. Okay, and all of those things were, cost more money, right? It wasn't the full ticket. They, there was standard equipment and then there was the, accessory packages, right? Well, let me tell you something that's so good. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's the full package paid in full by Jesus Christ. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that is for your good that he's left and said, no, you've got to work for that. No, no, no. It comes exactly with the very fact under grace, under the gift of grace, through faith. And that's the other part of it. Let me say this as an aside for a moment. If you were going to take something of what 1 John is all about, John is in his 90s when he's writing this, and it seems like the key verse to this is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you believe in the name of the Jesus Christ that you would have eternal life. He's, he's wanting people to be convinced, to be absolutely sure that they are a believer, a Christian. No one be on the shadow, because there's nothing worse, I couldn't imagine, going through this life and wondering if you're saved. That's as bad as it gets. Am I saved or am I not saved? John is taking special time and notice to these that he's writing to to make sure they understand, yes, these are things that you can know that you are saved by. That's what 1 John is all about. In fact, if we were going to take, uh, maybe read this on your own time. I don't know we'll have time today, but Matthew chapter 13. There's a parable that Jesus speaks of the wheat and the tares. And the tares is another word for... Weeds, or darnel, probably is what he's thinking in specifically, because wheat and darnel. Now, by the way, let's, let's take a step back, and you say, well, you don't have time to read it, but you have time to talk about it. That's okay. You can read it, it'll make more sense to you. But if you think about it, when, when, uh, when you were seeding wheat, if the enemy would come in, the thing they could do to make it the worst possible for that farmer or that neighbor or someone who was planting wheat was to go ahead and throw in some weed seed. Some Darnell in this case. Darnell and wheat are extremely close, except under close scrutiny to be able to tell the difference, especially when they're not in the reproductive stage. You know, when they, when they shoot off the head and, and the combine comes in, ah, it's all clear then. But you see what I'm saying? That's really what this has been all about. He's been talking about false teachers. He's been talking about real, real Christian people, real living in a way messed up world. That's what John's about, and it follows Matthew chapter 13 very very closely. And the worst thing you could now in our country, have you noticed, has anyone planted a garden and you had to plant weed seeds to get weeds? <laughs> no, it just comes, doesn't it? It's part of the whole thing. But even then they would make it worse because literally at night, many of their enemies would come in and just, oh, he just seeded that. Well, I'll show him. And he just really spread weed seed. Can you imagine? And then it comes up and what are you going to do with it? And this is what the story was about. The parable was about this. Oh, 
I guess I'll just have to weed the weeds out. The difference between wheat and Darnell couldn't tell. Because when you were going to take the Darnell out, you would be taking weed, wheat out. And that is, and so ultimately Jesus is saying, just continue to let, but watch carefully because there's conspicuous differences the longer it grows. And at the end, when the harvest comes, when the reaping, that's why Jesus Christ, when somebody would come to him, and he says this in another place, um, I never knew you. There was no personal relationship. And this, First John is all about that. John wants us to know absolutely confidently that we know Jesus Christ and have eternal life for sure. It's one of the greatest absolute letters that we can have in the New Testament because he wants people to know. So, okay, let's keep going. That was a little bit of a... Uh, off, the, off the side. Now, where did I leave you before I started going on? Verse 2, probably, in Romans chapter 5. Does that seem like about the right spot? Let's continue on in verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Now watch verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. When you accept Jesus Christ, now, when, when do you get the Holy Spirit? I mean, this is obviously, should be basic stuff, but when, when does the Holy Spirit come? <laughs> All righty then. Let's back up for just a second, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, and let's let the word... Speak for itself. How about that? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now, it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, I hope I'm right. We'll start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Here we go. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So let's think about that. What he's saying here, just, this verse, just hold on, because the verse 13 is what we want to get. In the sense of, there's many of you that literally make up one body. There is one Christ, and he has joined them all together. We are all, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, by faith, through grace, giving us what we don't deserve, we all become part of that family. We're all in Christ. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is really talking about our position in Christ. Remember, it seems like right here is where we stand and we get justified in this church. But the sense of when you trust Jesus Christ by faith, that he and he alone is the son of God. He's incarnate. He is God with us. And he is the one that paid for my sin. My sin. Not everybody. My sin. They paid for all of the other sins, but it's my sin personally. It's a personal responsibility. When we trust Christ as being our Savior for those sins of which I committed, he died for, you have been justified. You have been made not guilty. That is awesome. That is a great trade. It would be like owing... $10 trillion, and it's beyond that, but $10 trillion, you get a, I get, I, like I'd get a bill from the bank. And they say, oh, $10 trillion, it needs to be paid. Well, like you could even say before you die. What are my chances? That's zero, right? Correct? You're zero. It's the same thing for you to be able to pay for your sin. You get a bill in the mail, you owe for sin, and you have to pay because the wages of sin is death. How am I going to pay it off? How am I going to get there? You can't. You absolutely cannot. Now, you could work your head off. I could say to Paul, I'm going to make payments. And I come in with 100 bucks a week. 
making a thousand dollars a week. You know how big a trillion is? We're not even going to go there. It's monstrous. You couldn't get there. You couldn't make it. You couldn't earn it. So the bottom line is, works are absolutely worthless. But when you understand that Jesus Christ is that one that came in, now watch this. I love this because I give the bill to Jesus Christ and I said, I can't make this. I can't. There's nothing I can do. There's not one single thing that I could do to make this paid. But I'm going to trust you because you said, because God is love and God brought Jesus Christ, you, to earth to die for my sins. And then it got better because if he just died and he never rose from the dead, it's a waste of time. Total waste of time. But he did raise from the dead and many people saw him. And he took off to heaven. In fact, one of the things he said, I'm leaving so that the comforter, which is another word for the Holy Spirit, will come and take you and show you truth. Oh, that's so good. And Jesus Christ said, paid in full. And I take it back to Paul, and I said, what are you going to do now? And he said, you're free. It's been paid. There's nothing more to pay. It's all, it's, it, Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing more I could add to it. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Now, that's the picture of salvation. Now, let's keep going. Jesus Christ has said, everyone that's done that, trusted Christ as Savior, it's irregardless of baptism. It's irrespective of anything else. This is truly a faith project of you trusting Jesus because of what God shed his love abroad, the whole world through Jesus Christ, he paid the price, he died, his life's blood was shed to make that happen. You're in the family because of that. Now, he also said in chapter 5, of verse 5 of, of Romans, that he said he gave us the Holy Spirit. Let's go to verse 13 now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, what did I do with my glasses? I laid them right here, didn't I? I've got a spare one there. Tony knows where I got it. But. Okay, verse 13. Now watch now. We just finished to say that also is Christ, verse 12, all of us in one body through Christ. Now watch verse 13. For by one spirit are we, watch that word, all baptized into one's body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. What he's saying there, and what is the word baptized? Let's take baptized for just a second. What does that word mean? Forget about, no, you're, you're going there and you're seeing, you're seeing water, you're seeing uh, people being uh, put underneath a river or a creek or a baptismal. You stop. What does the word baptize mean? Immersion? What else? Cleaned? What else? It's that union. It's seen as a union with Jesus Christ. This is a public profession, if you will. And I'm, not, I'm talking about a baptismal where you actually, where let's say you go to the Ruby River. We've done that a couple of different times. And people, the reason they got there is not they're not being baptized to be born again. There are some, there are some cults, there are some false religions that believe that baptism is the way you get saved. In other words, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, in fact, there's... There is a, there's a, it's a church in this, in this area, I'm being careful with church, because I'm not sure they have the right idea of what salvation is. Because if, if your view of salvation is, yeah, I have to trust Jesus Christ by faith, but if I'm not baptized, then I'm not saved. That is a lie from hell. Yeah. That is baptismal regeneration, and it is absolutely not what the Bible teaches in any way, shape, or form. When I asked those people, I said, what happened to the thief on the cross? That said to Jesus Christ, he said, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you think the Romans let him get off the cross to be baptized so that he could go to heaven? 
That's ridiculous. But baptism is an act of obedience, of trusting what Jesus Christ wants you to do after you've trusted him to be in union, to be in a sense of identification. There's the word. I've been, I've been messing around for five minutes. It's to be identified with Jesus Christ. That took a long time to find that word, and I was, I was working at it. I was working. Baptism is identification with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, this said that you are all baptized, that is identified with the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's dive into verse 13. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1. Find this. And this is what it says. This is, again, this is a book that Paul wrote. And he's talking about position. He's talking about being in Christ. Wonderful, wonderful chapter 1. But we're going to dive in here, verse 13, in whom, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom, speaking of Christ, you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. See, we've been talking about truth. The gospel of your salvation in whom also, after that you believed, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession that is for you to be fully and completely glorified. When you get to heaven and all of that sin nature is gone, and I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Did you notice I can't wait? And, but until then, the down payment, the very function that Jesus Christ promised when he left the earth, he said to the disciples at that time, what did they know about the Holy Spirit? The disciples. I'm, I'm getting a little bit off track. It's okay. They didn't know a lot about him. They knew in the Old Testament, David even said, don't take your Holy Spirit from him. He's king, right? He had committed murder and adultery and lied and che- he did everything wrong. And, he, and when he came to confession, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, here's the deal. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, where you're, you know you're responsible for your sins, and you sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us this, that in Adam, we were born sinners. That flesh nature comes automatically. It's part of the package. So we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. Because, and there, actually, there was, there was uh, again, another cult. And we're, we're talking about false teachers. He, he takes Romans 5.12. No, he didn't know what to do with Romans 5.12. He said this. He said, every baby is born completely innocent. No guilt. Completely innocent. Now, that, that's a big, fat problem with that. If that is true, if there was one baby born that was completely innocent... Now, again, when did this happen? When Adam and Eve sinned, okay? They were created pure with the opportunity to be able to choose, which is what love is based upon because we were made in the image of God. See, it all fits together beautifully. After that point, when Adam sinned, it said sin came to all men and all have sinned, so death came to all. That's what Romans 5, 5.12 says. But if we say that there's a possibility of a baby being born without any sin, 
then we didn't need Jesus. We could have possibly done it ourselves. That, again, is a lie from hell. We needed Jesus. We're sinners. Death came to, to us through Adam. Death came to all that it sinned because that's the wages of sin. And now where was I going next? Oh, we're talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, according to those two passages of Scripture, when you trust Jesus Christ, you do not have the Holy Spirit before you trust Him. You can't get the Holy Spirit. The only thing that the Holy Spirit can do to you if you do not know Jesus personally is He can come with the Word of God through Christians, believers, and convict you of your sin. If you've never had any conviction of sin that needs to be dealt with, and you can't handle it, because if you analyze sin, you by yourself cannot fix it. There's no way that you can get through physical death. There's no way. There's not a way. It only comes through Jesus. And when that's the Holy Spirit, when he brings you, in fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's the way one gets saved. Now, the Holy Spirit acts as an agent to bring you to Jesus Christ. Once you've trusted him and you've been justified, that very second, millisecond, that literally just, just like that, the Holy Spirit then comes into you for all time. You are a purchased property. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to make sure that we understand this. this is some of the things that we forget when we're Christians is whose property we really are. Because when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, He literally has purchased you, or the term that's used in the Bible, of redemption, to redeem you, to buy you out of this slave market. That was the picture that, that Paul wanted to use. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's look. At verse 19. Now what he's talking about is the sense, from verse 9, I'm not going to read it, but you can mark this in your notes, from verse 9 all the way to the end of the chapter, he's talking about moral laxity and how important it is for us to keep our members, our physical body, to be clean. Let's look here in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18. Here we go. Just basically two words. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And then he says, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the... Did you see it? The Holy Ghost what? Which is in you. Which you have of God. God gave that to you and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. Now think of that. To be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is... That brings a huge sense of... Wow, what a gift. But also a sense of responsibility. Okay? So can you lose the Holy Spirit... If you, if you've trusted Christ, no, can't do it. He doesn't give up what's his. That would say that someone is stronger than the Holy Spirit. That means that something kicked the Holy Spirit out because he couldn't handle his own territory. That's ludicrous. That's not the picture of God. But again, the key is to make sure that you truly trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That is to repent of your sins, to say and to turn and go the other way. It's to literally say exactly what God says about the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit is yours. And the key is for the next rest of your life is that you are the Holy Spirit's. You will work hard at that. <laughs> That's what makes this day-to-day -day stuff so 
Oh, so day to day, right? There's so much life and there's so much. Now, again, there's words that we're throwing out. We're thinking out perfect and we're talking about those things sometimes almost are a sense of disqualification. It is not that. You cannot be perfect. Maturity is a process. But the Holy Spirit is there to help you on that mission. If you do not, and that's John's talking about this. I don't know how far we'll get today, but this is good stuff. The fact of the matter is, is anyone that has not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior does not have the Holy Spirit, cannot get the Holy Spirit. But once you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. And that sounded terrible how I said it, but my point is, he's there to help you in every function of the way. And how do you feed the Holy Spirit? You read the Bible. You listen to the Word of God. You take it in. Some, for some of us, listening is better. Some of you have Bible on tape, where you're literally, you're con- chunks of the Bible, you're listening to it. The Holy Spirit can use that to guide you. And you know what? You come up with a decision, and it's like, huh, you know what? The Holy Spirit, no, no, stop. That verse says this. It's amazing how that works. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He will, with the temptation, make a way to escape it. You're in a tight corner. I guarantee you, because God promised, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, part of that accessory package is the fact that you will have a way that he will... Now, you may not want it, but he will give you a way to get out. And it's through the Word of God, feeding the Holy Spirit, if you will. Okay. So, to cap, the Holy Spirit indwells every single Christian upon their acceptance of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean there's another facet of that to be indwelt by, to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, and I mean want to be full full, is the fact that what you have to do is you have to continue to feed the Spirit. You have to give Him food for Him to work in you. Now, the Spirit doesn't need that to live, but for you to live in the Spirit, you must continue to fill yourself with things that the spirit uses to feed you that's what filled there's a difference between being indwelt and to be filled with the spirit okay because you'll live a lot better in the sense of a christian if you're filled with the spirit the spirit is there but if you're not going to help him if you're not going to feed him it's like two dogs you got two dogs same size when you get them which one's going to be bigger the one you feed the most it's not hard is it it's not hard that's the same thing we have the flesh nature i'd love to have gotten rid of that thing and when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you think you're going to be perfect? Wrong answer. You think you're going to be mature? Wrong answer. That flesh nature, that part that still is inside of you saying, I want to do what's wrong, I want to do what's wrong, that doesn't leave. But the Holy Spirit now has given you the opportunity to make the right decision. You have freedom. Freedom is the ability to do the right thing. Without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, you don't even know there is another side. And if there was, you couldn't do anything about it. That's why a Christian, that's insane, it's, it's difficult because we're warring against those, those members within us. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And that's the key is for us to understand how important it is for us to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. But that, to think of that, you have God living within you. There's one amen out of that? <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes, you can... You can grieve or you can quench. That's right. Those two things we're not going to talk about today. But, <laughs> but at any rate, there's things that we need to do, though, to make the Holy Spirit's effectiveness in us more efficient, more beneficial. It's incredibly important. Okay? Anything else about that? 
because that's what John is talking about. Let's go back to, I don't even, where, where did I have you? Romans chapter 5. Um, blah, 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 blah. First, Corinthians. First Corinthians. We were there and then we went somewhere else. Um, that's okay. Let's go back to 1 John. Let's go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. So now we have affirmed that literally, and that's what John's trying to say too as going through this passage of Scripture, is anyone that is in Christ also has the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, so we're going to look at... Um, Let's, let's remind ourselves, if this is the third time we've hit love, where was the first time we found John taking us into love in, in his epistle? Chapter 2, right? Chapter 2. And what was, the fact, what was he trying to get across there? That love would be the proof of true, remember the word we used? Koin, koinonia, right? Or fellowship. Love is the true test of fellowship. If you have no love, you're not in fellowship. No fellowship? That's what he's saying. He's asking that question. Love is a, it's a defining moment. Now, in chapter 3, we actually found that love, was, that love is a, a, um, evidence of our sonship, being in the family. If you don't have any love for the brothers, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, check it out. <laughs> I like that. Because that's the evidence that is known for us to be in the family. And when I'm saying in the family, I'm not talking about in this church. I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about being in the real family, the real church, in the family of God. And the only way you get there is how? By trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. So it was an evidence for sonship. And now this time, we're actually literally talking about it's the manifestation of the sense of the presence of God within us. When God dwells in you, he opens the floodgates of love to literally allow you to have the capacity to love. You cannot love this way without God. You cannot do it. But he opens through the power of the Holy Spirit the floodgates of agape love when you get saved. You have a capacity that never was yours to love. Now, you were made in God's image, but when we fell into the fallen state of sin, we no longer can even effectually access that. It takes the Holy Spirit to open that in the sense of having the capacity to love. Now look how he starts in verse 7. This is pretty cool. Verse 7, chapter 4 of 1 John. He says, Beloved, let us love. You know what it's saying? You who are loved, love. <laughs> Isn't that good? We'll be talking about that in a moment. But I'd like to look at, I don't know if we'll get through it today, but six reasons to love. We'll start in verse 7 and is the very essence. We'll read it. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For, God is, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Literally, the first reason to love is the fact that love is the very nature of God. Love is from God. You are sharing his life, literally. His being a capital H. Love becomes, in loving because it's the very consistent, it's consistent with who God is. He is love, he is light, he is life. Love as God does. Now, this is going to sound weird, so I'm going to say it a couple times to make sure we don't get it off track. One of the things that God wants us to do as he unfolds the... And by the way, when you become a Christian, the first day that, you, that you're saved, you know what? You don't have to understand everything. That's not important. What's important is that you understand that you're a sinner and you've fallen short of the, of the glory of God and, you're, and there's nothing you can do about it and I've got to get it fixed. And the only way... The only way is through Jesus Christ. And when that moment comes, when you repent of your sin, I can't do it. I can't fix it. 
and you trust him, that is a wonderful new birthday. It's called the second birth. That is, that is a great time. Now, how much do you have to understand? Not too much. You just need to know that stuff. And from that point on, you start to learn more, and you read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit's... In fact, the, I'm going to pick on you for just a second, Kurt. But when you first got saved, prior to that, when you opened the Bible, it just looked like words on a page, didn't it? And when you got saved, now again, it didn't happen overnight. You started to read, and there was things that started to come out of that. And it started to make sense. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit is interpreting the Word of God so you literally can get it. Am I right? Spot on. And it never stops. It never stops. This week, as I'm studying the Word of God, there was, there was a passage of Scripture that was like... Now, I'm not saying it was new, but it was, it was a fresh nugget to me of which just again instilled how powerful it is for the truth. You never get over that. The Word is never complete in the sense of how it fulfills. it's fulfilled in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit working. That's so cool. That is so good. Uh, where was I going? <laughs> and I gave you one, right? And we got a long ways to go. I was like, oh, I know. I was going to say something, and I knew it was going to be weird, right? Remember that? It was going to be weird. Because literally, when you become saved, when you become that Christian, when you've trusted Jesus Christ, the love which God literally flows, he, he puts it on the very inside of you. And if you're open and yielding to the Holy Spirit, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love others. You're going to especially love your brothers and sisters because you're in the same family. And you say, a lot of times the family doesn't matter. If we were really truly living as Christians are supposed to live, our brothers and sisters would be the most loved. I'm not talking familial, physical now. I'm talking about family of God. In fact, let's stop for just a second. Help me come back to this. Tell me I'm going to, I was going to tell you something that would make you uncomfortable. It's a little weird. As long as you say that, I'll be right back there. But let's go to John chapter 13, because I think this is very important right now. John chapter 13. And you're saying this whole thing is weird, Larry. John chapter 13. Well, just hold with me. John chapter 13. And let's look at verses 34. We'll actually do it and start in verse 33. We'll even start in verse 31 because this is the last night they're together. This is the time of which uh, he's about to be betrayed. They're having their last time together in the sense of a supper amongst just the disciples. Um, Judas Iscariot has left the room. And now in verse 31, it goes off this way. Therefore, when he was gone out, this is speaking of Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, speaking of Jesus, God also shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. There is something that's going to happen now in the sense of salvation that is going to glorify the entire Trinity, because no one could have accomplished this any other way than the way God did it. Now watch, verse, verse 33, watch. Here's a term that we found in 1 John. Little children. Yet a little while, I am with you, literally hours, you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Watch verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. If you do not have love for others, and especially brothers and sisters in Christ, that, what Jesus is saying, along with what John is saying in this epistle we've been studying, 
it means you're probably not one of the family. Because it's by your love, the evidence that comes from the inside that flows out, literally is the evidence to prove that you are saved. That is powerful. Now, you say, new commandment. This doesn't sound new. What do you mean? Love one another. Okay, there's a difference. The new part was this. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, just write it down. Leviticus 19, 18, you'll find, in fact, that they were under the law, they were described to love your neighbor as yourself. So the basis of love was on yourself. Do you see the difference? Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. Now, what he had just done, you were familiar with that passage of Scripture, he had just washed their feet. Every one of those disciples had their feet washed by the slave, the servant. No, it was Jesus, the master, the rabbi. And that's when he was able to get up, put his, put his garment back on and say, just as I have loved you, you should wash one another's feet. Now, everybody would have gotten in line to wash Jesus' feet. Do you see the point? That's not what he said. He said, wash one another's feet as I have washed you or as I have loved you. Do you see the difference? Huge deal. Okay, now let's go back to 1 John. And I, I think I'm even going to remember myself this time. I was going to tell you something that may sound a little bit weird when I first say it. So I'm just going to say it. And then you're going to wonder what in the world and you head for the doors is this, that we as Christians, again, if you're, if you're not in Jesus Christ, that's the first, that's step one. That's step one. You can't go any further until you trust Jesus Christ in your sin. You can't get, this, this is all for the family, but the family you can become part of if you trust him as your savior. Once you're in the family, this is all for you. Now, after we're saved, we need to practice being God, capital G. And you say, that's weird. Take a step back, breathe deeply. I didn't say to become like God. I said to be practicing as God. What does that mean? What does God do? He loves unconditionally. Just the very thing that he does, we should be practicing doing. That's the picture. That is huge because that literally is the evidence that, he, that John is saying that will exemplify what's really going on in your life. Now, again, it's not perfect. So yesterday you yelled at your kid, or yesterday you yelled at the neighbor, or yesterday you were pretty upset inside and you didn't yell at anybody, but inside your head, you didn't like that person. And no, no you don't have to raise your hands because you're, we're all there. We could all raise our hands because that's who we are. We're just, we're fallen people. And when you get, when Jesus Christ is in your life, it doesn't make you perfect. What makes it perfect is when we get back up and we come and we confess it before God, and that wasn't right. That is not who I am in you. In you, that's the key. Fix me. I confess my sin. Let's go on again. Let's get going. Now, if you're not willing to do that, remember what we learned last week? That was one of the things. If you take the scripture, if you take the word of God, and, and, and it's shown to you that this is what God's word says about your condition, and you say, oh, I, don't, I don't need any of that. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. What does that tell you? You're not saved. If the Bible does not mean anything for the sense of correction, it's, you're not saved. If you have the wrong message about Jesus Christ, if you say he's, he's a, he's a half-brother to Lucifer, he's a created being, he's someone that is not God in the flesh, if you say any of those things, you're not saved. You're not saved. I'm not saying that. That's what John said in the scriptures. That's very, very important here. Because John wants you to know there's one person that's actually, I think, worse off than someone that is an evildoer that is running away from God that is not saved is one that thinks they're saved. That's what we need to be careful of. 
And that's what John's really working really, really hard at. He wants you to be positive that you're saved. Am I too loud? I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Really, I'm not, actually. So, but let's go on. What was the first reason I gave you to love? It's the very nature of who God is. You're literally sharing. When he comes on you, he, you literally, he changes you from the inside. It's just natural. You would love naturally because that's what happens. You really can't even stop it. Now, let me, this, I think this is a good example. Do you, remember, do you remember Alexander the Great? Well, not personally. You never met him, but, but you remember reading about him. Alexander the Great. Boy, you are, see, you're a lot older than you said you were. Yeah, nice boy. I know how old he is now. Alexander the Great. He was about 300 B.C., actually, I think. He was somewhere in there. And it, no, don't, don't worry about any of that. I didn't say. But Alexander the Great, there was in his army. Now, what did you know about Alexander the Great? What do you know about him? Yeah, he, and he, he was very swift. In fact, Daniel in his prophecy spoke of that kingdom. That kingdom was incredibly fast. And the, the speed of which it conquered the world was incredible. And, and Alexander the Great was in his early 30s when he conquered the world, the known world. I mean, think of that. In fact, he became so bored, he actually became an alcoholic and died at 33. Isn't that crazy? He gained, but what's the deal? He left God out of it. And if you can have every, you could have the whole world, think of that, you could have the whole world. And it's not enough. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. But here's the deal. So in his army, this, I mean, this was like lightning. These guys just went and conquered people. They were so fast, they almost gave up anymore before they even got there. But there was one man in his army that was named, guess what? Alexander. And he was sort of lazy. And he was kind of a coward. And his reputation got out. You know what Alexander the Great did? He brought him in. He brought him in. And he set him down. He said, sir, you have two options. One is to clean up your act or change your name. <laughs> you see, that's so cool when you talk about a Christian. Jesus Christ, now, Jesus Christ is so full of love and grace, I get that. But it's like, would you please act like you're supposed to act or don't call yourself a Christian? Yeah. See, today, now in America today, well, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I was born in America. That is not a Christian. What is a Christian, by the way? A Christian is a, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's literally what the word means, to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, someone that says that they're a Christian that is not following Jesus Christ, they're not a Christian. It's just that simple. Now, I'm not saying that out of any sense other than the fact, get it right. Or change your name. Or change. <laughs> that's why I, lo- I actually love that little story because that's, ex- isn't that good? Alexander said, you know, if you want to be a jerk, if you want to be a loser, you want to be a cowardice, you, want to, you just don't want to do that, then change your name, Right? But you know what? Jesus Christ is way better than Alexander the Great. He said, come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not, making it, he's not wanting it to make it hard because he's the one that gives you strength. But he does want you to obey his commandments and to allow the food of the word to really feed you through the power of the Holy Spirit, which every one of you have if you've trusted Christ. See, that's so much that they don't, they don't talk about that, do they? Except Christ. No one talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, that is the, what I want to say, the bright light that no one ever notices. Now, you say, well, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? How do I know? What physical evidence do I have of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to tell you right now. But I wanted you to think about it because that's the question. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? And, and so, so the Bible, by the way, we went to that. We saw where the Bible says that. But how do we know that? See, because what John is trying to do is he's literally, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I probably shouldn't do that. But just hold on that thought. I kind of launched that out there, didn't I? I launched that out there. Let's go to number two. Let's go to number two. 
I know, isn't it good? And then just wait till the dirty end because I don't think I can get all six wrapped in today, so you're going to have to come back next week, right? Isn't that bad? That's bad. Oh, that's right. So we're going to have to move quickly. Or we're going to have to be here till 7. No, I won't do that. I won't do that to you. Okay. But, but literally, literally, verse eight, let's go to verse 8 and we'll move on. Verse 8 says this. If he that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. In other words, from, our t- from the way we would say it, if you don't love, there's no evidence that you know God. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But that's what he said. I didn't say it. That's the cool thing about being a Bible uh, teacher is the fact I don't have to come up with this stuff. I take the Bible and I say what it says. And, and the Holy Spirit works on it that way. If you don't, if you don't love, it's, it's evidence you don't know God. Number two is, this love was shown by Christ. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. First one was, love is the very nature of God. It's part of the package. The second one is, this love was made known or it's shown by Christ. Verse 9. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. These are fabulous verses. And this was manifested. That's a, that's a, a little accentuated word for being shown. And this was show, and this, in this was shown the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Literally, that love was shown by Christ. The reason we should love is it was was shown by Christ himself. He was an example of love. Let's go back to chapter 2 and verse 2 of 1 John. And let's look at that word propitiation one more time. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate or a defense attorney. That's an easier one for us to grab a hold of. With the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, in verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does the word propitiation mean? Did someone come into the bank this week, Paul, and say uh, that he wanted to do a complete propitiation of his, of his debt? My folks wouldn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you're saying no, okay? No. Typically, it, it's a big word, isn't it? It's a $30 word. Propitiation. It's a word we don't use. Kurt, did you use it this week? No. no. How many used propitiation this week? I didn't in conversation. I, I read about it. But it's a really cool $30 word that means completely satisfied. He satisfied everything required for sin. And sin is a huge curse. It's a huge problem. It's something you can't walk away, you can't ignore, you can't get away from because death just keeps sticking its nose right in our face. But it says that Jesus Christ was the propitiation, the complete satisfaction for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Back to chapter 4, and let's continue on. This very love was... The satisfaction of sin is something that Jesus Christ accomplished. So therefore, he is literally, uh, it was shown through him. Through him. He's our atonement. He is literally our mercy seat. Because that's how God was appeased, shall we say, in the, in the Old Testament. Remember, remember when the, well, you maybe don't remember that either. Uh, well, Ernie might. Um, in the Old Testament, no, I'm kidding. In the Old, in the, in the old, in the old Testament, um, where the sacrificial system took, I'm sorry, I'm picking on you today, but your son's not here, so what can I do? What can I do? So, at any rate, um, in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, um, it was important for the atonement. One day out of the year, the priest had to get himself set up right. That would be a huge, huge undertaking to understand and know that you had done everything that God had required for you to be holy enough, I'm using that word, clean enough, pure enough, to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. That only happened one day out of a year. Only one day out of the entire year. And his job was to sprinkle blood 
from an innocent, blemish-free animal, and he would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, which was on the Ark of the Covenant. And when that was on there, God said, I see it as being completely atoned. That's, a, that's, a, that's an Old Testament word to be covered with. He is, and Jesus Christ, one place in the New Testament, is he is our atonement. Okay? Atonement is an Old Testament word, but it, you, the connotation when you study that is the fact Jesus Christ is literally our atonement. That's how God can forgive us. He's not, he's not marking on the curve. He, he, I went to a physics class that I attended in high school, and it was really tough, and I had some real brain. I, you know, they only offered it every other year because we didn't have very many, so I was a junior, and the other guys were seniors. And I'm not going to say anything, but it was a tough class. It was so tough, actually, that the, that the, the I was going to say professor, but the teacher said, I'm going to mark on the curve. Yeah, so all you got to do now is you want to make sure that the really smart guy doesn't need to be so smart. You understand what I'm saying? God isn't like that. God is perfect. He's 100%. It's no, there's nothing less than perfect, nothing less than 100% that he's accepting. And the cool thing is, is Jesus Christ, the only one that marked it. The blood of that lamb or of that goat, they could never satisfy the mercy seat for any more than the one-year period. And he had to go in every year. Every year and every year. In fact, it was so dangerous. You, I'll tell you the most dangerous job in Israel, and that was the high priest. Why? Because actually when he went in there, he had bells on his, on his ephod. He had a rope around his leg because if they heard no bells ringing, and they'd say, are you in there? From a distance, of course. Now, from a distance, because no, if, if you went in there, you're smoked because no man could ever see God. And they'd pull him out by a rope. And that happened because he hadn't prepared himself. Isn't that cool that Jesus Christ handled that? He handled that. Wow. Okay. What number were we on? We were on two. All right. Um, I'm not quite done with that, though, unfortunately. Let's go to, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there. How many of you read Ephesians? That I gave you that assignment some time back. Anybody read Ephesians? Nice. That's a powerful book, isn't it? Really powerful. Um, here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk or live in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, and an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. See, he was our example. You have, the reason you can love is because Jesus Christ was our example. God just didn't tell us about salvation. He just didn't tell us about love. He he proved it. He showed us. He, he was pure and simple, our example. Let's go to Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Isaiah 53, 6. Again, speaking of Jesus Christ from, an, from Isaiah's perspective. Isaiah chapter 53, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. We'll start in verse 5. Verse 3. Verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. There we go. Isaiah 53. <laughs> Can't go back any further than that on that chapter. 53.1 says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up, speaking of Jesus, now the Messiah, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, you're not selecting him because he looks good on camera or on TV, which way we select presidents, I guess, these days. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and, and we hid, as it were, 
our faces from here. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, hath carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his soul. That's an Old Testament prediction of exactly what Jesus Christ did for us today. That we are, we are literally part of the fulfillment. That is beautiful. Amen. I heard at least one. We can keep going then. Yes, sir. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are verses that you need to hold in your, in your library of thought processes. Continue to let the Holy Spirit remind you of where you're at in Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, another verse very familiar to most of you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, God has made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, he never sinned, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Another fabulous, fabulous picture of what Jesus did and giving us an example of what love really is. So we have love is the very nature of God of which... We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ. Number two is the fact that Jesus Christ uh, is an example of love. He showed us. He manifested love in himself. Number three is love is literally our testimony. Love is our testimony. As a Christian, that's one of the ways that you can tell and others can tell that you are, in fact, a Christian. Let's go to verse 12, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 12. Now, he just says this right out of the box. I'm not wondering, why would he say that? Verse 12, chapter 4, 1 John. No man has seen God at any time. Well, that's interesting. We haven't been really talking about that, about seeing God, or right? What was that all about? No man has ever seen God at any time. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. So, what's his point? Well, let's continue. And he's going to get to that too, isn't he? In fact, he says this, No man has seen God at any time. If we, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. In fact, it proves that God dwells in us. And his love is perfected or made complete in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. No one has ever seen God. You can watch, we could go downtown Sheridan and I could ask the first guy I come on to in the grocery store. Walk downstairs, Ace is the place, and I just somebody walks up. They say, have you ever seen God? Now, they may just move on. They may not even hang around. In fact, that seems a little bit, you maybe want to start a conversation, get a little bit freer, and you're, you, know, you could say, I'm kind of just doing a quick survey here. I'm just going to ask a few questions. Then you could say, have you ever seen God? And that person would, I don't think I want to do any more with you, right? And away he goes. He's going to go buy something in the hardware store. He'd go anywhere. He'd get away from me, right? You could, try the, you could try it anywhere. And first of all, if you could get someone comfortable enough to answer the question, they would say no. If they said yes, uh, let's talk more, right? But typically, no one has ever seen him. So how do we see God? In other people. Now, it said, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. They said, you have not. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, he said, you, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus Christ was literal, the emanation, the full picture of who God really is. And Jesus Christ lived that human form that he was God in the flesh, and that was the clearest picture we could see of who God was. 
Now, Jesus Christ is gone. What's happened now is the Holy Spirit lives in everyone that's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, no one has ever seen God, but you know what? They see Christians, and they can know that God is like when they see a Christian of the love that is within them that God has placed. That literally is their picture of God, because what did I say a couple of minutes ago? About five minutes, ten minutes ago, is the fact that we should practice being God. Practice loving as God loved. That is the clearest witness, the clearest picture of people being able to see God on this planet Earth. Often. We do. Why do we fail? Let's play with that for just a second because, because Leslie is exactly right. And that's the part I don't want you to feel here today. I do not want you to feel beat up. That is not what John's trying to do either. He is talking very clearly that if you, are, if you are not loving habitually, if you are sinning habitually, if you're disobeying God habitually, you're probably not a sinner. You're not saved. But what he really wants us to do and be encouraged to know that we are saved. And then why do we? Why do we fail? Why do we not be this loving person that we are, that we should be? Sin nature is always pounding on us. What else could we say? Satan really wants us out of the game. You know what he wants not to see? He doesn't want anybody to see God ever through the eyes of, of... He hates Christians more than you can imagine. I want you to know that. He is like a roaring lion seeking who may, may devour, but you are a prized possession owned by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I can't say that enough. I'm sure I can't say that enough. And you are God's property. But he can take your testimony. He can, he can make you ineffective. When you do not do the things that the Holy Spirit wants you to do, those are choices we make. So how do we get in this trouble? One of the first things is when we do sin. I mean, and every, you have weaknesses. When's your weakest moment? For me, it's when I'm tired and hungry. I do stupid stuff. I'm just, I'm being super honest. I'm just in front of you. Right? It's just like Romans chapter 7. Have you guys read Romans chapter 7, 15 through 25? Read it when you go home again. I've asked you to do it. 15 through 25. That's Paul the Apostle, who is, I call him a superstar. He's like the super apostle, and he like opens the doors to the inner part of his life, and he says, you know what? Literally, I do stuff I don't want to do. I can't do what I want to do. It's all the things that you and I fight with. And you know what? Paul the Apostle said that. And he ended it. He said, praise God, the victory is in Jesus Christ. And that's why you could say in chapter 8 of, of Romans, the first verse after, he says, now there is, therefore there's no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. That is my favorite verse. Because even when we fail, he's right there to pick us up. One of the things though, that I think is very, that, that is very key for me is when I do have those moments, something, and I was like, I can't believe that, right? You say something, you think something, it takes you out of course. Your focus is no longer where it should be. It's probably this, this age of entitlement has totally changed this, this nation's fabric. Because when you're in, the, when you're in the, the picture of entitlement, it's all about me. It's all about everything. Now, if you go to the cross of Jesus Christ, it never is about entitlement. It's literally about him enabling you. It's about enablement from him. And it's not about you, it's about God. So I think that's the key focus is get your, where, what are you focusing on? That's the question I actually ask myself. What am I focusing on? And sometimes that's the key. I know right away I'm out of it. And when I'm asking, what am I focusing on? That answer to itself lets me to go, let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to Jesus. Let me get my eyes back on Jesus. And that may mean I might have to confess some sins. I may have to get, get right. And you know what happens immediately? I'm back in fellowship. Game on, ready to go. That's the God we serve. That's really cool. That is really, really cool. It's not like he kicks you to the curb because you, you messed up once. Oh, I'm sorry. Game over. You're, you're done. Back to the locker room for you. No. No, no, no. A real Christian, one that's really authentic, which John is talking about, you get back up, you brush yourself off, 
You go to Jesus and you may have to bow back down and say, you know what, I'm so sorry. I confess of that. I was not focused on you. I did not prepare myself. I did not read the word of God this morning. I did not equip myself with the body parts of armor that you've given to me to protect myself from that Satan, that roaring lion, throwing flaming darts. Let me try again. Let me start again in you. In you, in your strength. That's the other thing that's absolutely, at the end of 1 John, when you get done, humility is something you will become bathed in. It is not about you. It is not about your strength. It's not any of that. It's humility. Because when you're humble in Jesus Christ, he can use that. Oh, he loves to use humility. That's what Jesus Christ was. He was meek and humble, mild, most powerful, most powerful being in, in, in the universe. He didn't have to sit there in front of Pilate and Pilate thinking he's got him in his paw. What is truth? You know, what is truth? Uh, duh. He doesn't care. None of that care. Jesus could have said enough of you. Get away. But he lived the course because he had to follow the path because ultimately that was the only way for us today to be here, to be saved, to be in Jesus Christ and ultimately have a Holy Spirit living within us. That is so amazing what God has shown to us. And what number are we on? Three. Three. We need to be on four, don't we? Okay. Um, just going to catch up here a little bit. Oh, I, I did want to tell you this. I did want to tell you this. I uh, love being our testimony. There is a story of a man, of, I'm sorry, of a, he was in a city, and there was a, a man driving in a car, and behind him was a, a vehicle driven by a woman. Not, don't, just, no, just, just, just relax. Breathe deep. There's nothing about that. This is, this doesn't, nothing. It's okay. It's okay. That's not the end of the story. And it's part of the story, but it's not it. And, and he, this, this, this lady is just tailgating him. Just, I mean, right on his tail. And, you know, they're driving through town or city. And uh, the yellow light comes on. He did the appropriate thing. You know, he could have, he could have you know, gunned in and got... Now, none of us have ever done that. There's different cities that's worse than others. I'm going to leave it right there. Okay, so anyway, the yellow light comes on. He breaks accordingly, and he stops. And this lady is giving him a horn and a piece of her mind, which won't last long, because there's just rolling and pouring out of her. And rah, 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 you know, and she's just, she is hot. And there's this little knock on the window on her car. And it's a policeman. He says, ma'am, I'm going to ask you to get out of the car. I'm going to handcuff you, and I want to take you down to the station. So he does. He restrains her, puts her in the police cruiser, go downtown to the top shop, books her. She's, in, she's incarcerated. There are two hours in there. And then... Shortly thereafter, someone comes and gets her, takes her to the arresting officer. He says, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I just did what I thought was obvious because on the bumper of your car, it said, go to Sunday school. What would Jesus do? Choose life. And I was watching you act, and I was sure that you had stolen the car. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's exactly true. So what, 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 what are we talking about? You see what I'm saying? Don't put bumpers. Yeah, the moral of the story: don't put bumper stickers on. Don't. In other words, if we were taking, don't talk about Jesus, right? Don't say you're a Christian. Try to. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, I'm not going to tell you what to do with bumper stickers. I know, I know. It was, it was, it was spot on. But, but isn't that true though? See, it's love. It's, it's the love that is the testimony of a Christian. It's your walk more than your talk. That's what John's trying to say. Let's go to number four. How are we doing for time? Oh, we're going we're gonna to cram it. We're going to get it. Number four, um, love is the assurance of our salvation. How do I know I'm saved? Well, the Bible says because God gave me his spirit. 
How do I know I have the Spirit? Does this sound like something I asked you a little while ago? It is, isn't it? How do you know I have the Spirit? Well, the Bible says so. Well, how do you know? Is there physical? Is there something, is there something that you can know that you have the Spirit? By the way, this, when, this, when, you're, when you trust Jesus Christ, some have this uh, a huge sense of joy, a release. Um, there, many, it's, an, it's an overwhelming emotional moment in, in many cases. And other times, there isn't anything. But and the Bible doesn't say you have to have that. It's not in there, but praise God. But so how do we know? When the Holy Spirit comes out, he doesn't announce it. There's not a sign. I mean, I'm inhabited by the Holy Spirit. How do you know? How do you know? The very fact, let's go to, uh, let's go to verses 13 through 16. Let's go ahead and read those. 13, we'll start in verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. See, there he's saying it right there. He's going to tell us. And we have seen, verse 14, and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. This is going to sound a little bit simple, but you know the very fact, you ask somebody that does not have the Holy Spirit, ask somebody that does not know Jesus Christ personally, that has never accepted Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior, they cannot do those two things right there. They cannot describe for you that God the Father sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world, nor that he is truly the Son of God and he is your Savior. That very essence of the Holy Spirit unfolding that and you trusting that and knowing that to trust is very evidence in and of itself that the Holy Spirit lives within you. There's no way you could do that or know that aside from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty simple, but that's exactly what that passage says. That's incredibly clear, isn't it? Let's read it again now with having said that. Let's come back. In verse 13, it says this, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, in Christ, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. This is how we're going to know that. And he says in verse 14, If we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, if, 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 if you don't know Christ, he could just be Jesus Christ. He was a pretty good teacher. Uh, he was a pretty good guy. Uh, do, do you see what I'm saying? That's someone that does not have the Spirit. Because they haven't, they haven't seen Jesus for who he was. He wasn't just a 33-year-old rabbi that was teaching good things. No, 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 no. This is the Son of God, the one that was saving the world. The Jewish leaders at that point, what did they see him as? This is, think of this now. This is when he told them that your father is Satan. He is literally the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. I'm, way, ooh, I'm tense now. And, but he, Jesus said this. He said, that's who your father is. And what did they say Jesus was? They said he was literally a devil and he was a, he was a, he was a product of fornication. They didn't see him as the son of God. They saw him as just Mary's illegitimate child. The very fact that you can say that Jesus was the very Son of God, the Savior of the world, and you profess, you affirm him that way, that is, the, that is literally the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit within you. You don't have to perform magic 
You don't have to do a bunch of cool things. Now, by the way, once you're saved, we're not gonna, I can't go too deep in this because otherwise we're not going to get those last two, are we? But we're going to go here real quickly. The other part of the package that you, we've met, we don't speak of much here. I'm, I'm, it's really bad because we need to talk about it. You get the Holy Spirit. You get eternal life. You get the fact that he's going to be helping you through it. You're going to be able to interpret it and to, to uh, take the word of God and going to take it in and it's going to actually mean something. Your life is on a guidance track. You have the opportunity with discretion and wisdom and love and on and on it goes. There's another part that happens to you upon the fact that you trust Jesus Christ. He will impart with you at least one spiritual gift. This is how the family, the, the, the body of Jesus Christ is literally exhorted and encouraged through the gift. That one, it could be more, a gift that you have that is essential for the place that you live to, to really honor God by using that. That gift is very, very important. That's another way actually for the Holy Spirit to be exhibited. Not you. It's not you. In fact, most of the time, the gift that you're given is one that you feel very, very, very uncomfortable with in and of yourself. For me, I'll go just a second. Teaching, being in front of people. When I was in high school, it was the worst thing in the world was to give a speech in front of, we only had 18 or 19 kids in our class. That would, that would make my knees knock, right? I, I, couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that, right? And so, and, and there's... there's there's people back there in North Dakota, when they hear that, I, that, I'm, that I'm teaching, they don't believe it because that's not who I was. And that's, praise God, that's the power of him and not me. You see what I'm saying? That's usually where, now I got off track again, but that's, a, that's something else you need to discover in your life. The Holy Spirit will, 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 will start to want you to exercise that gift. Because that's how he uses you to be an instrument of encouragement to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about love me. Love should be every one of ours because it comes from the very essence of who God is. Number five, I'm going to move quickly now. <clears throat> love is also our confidence in judgment. What do I mean by that? Let's look at verses 17 and 18. Verses 17 and 18. Herein is our love made perfect, our complete that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect, complete love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment or punishment or the sense of torment from the very sense of, of being fearful of the future. He that feareth is not made complete in love. What he's saying is this. When you love with perfect love, this love that comes from God, of which he gives you the capacity to love, how do you look at the day of judgment, the day of coming of when we're going to be, when, literally, when we die or when we're going to be in the presence of God? If that is a fearful thing to you, it shouldn't be because that very love and when you're loving outwardly, when the God of the, the, uh, our God is pouring into you the love through the Holy Spirit, as we're loving, that's very evidence that you're not fearful. I look forward to the day when I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about it. In fact... I know it's probably not best maybe for me to leave until I'm supposed to leave, but I wouldn't mind a premature departure. Because, and, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it really should be. That tell, just that your very uh, behavior or your, or your thought process of that is the sense of evidence in itself and why we should love. Because it's telling us, where, are, are you fearful? If you are, get it, you better get it fixed because there's nothing to fear. If you're in Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, 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 bring it on, Doc, right? In fact, there's been, there's been people say that. 
you know what, I'm sorry to say this, but you know, you've, you've got terminal cancer. That's a ticket to heaven. You know, I mean, really, literally. Now, I'm not, again, there's grief, there's loss for those that are around us. I'm not being trite about that. I'm just saying this, though. That should literally not bother us because God is able to save us. He's able to get us there. That's awesome. I mean, that's good stuff. So number six, we're a little bit past time, but I think we won't wait, we won't leave you until next week. Um, I would say this. Love is our confidence in judgment. The word he used was boldness. Literally, the love in our life is literally our confidence in judgment. That's the way I wrote it anyway. I think we get three. Three? Okay. Can someone help her? Love is our testimony. Love is our testimony. Well, I think that's Okay. How about number two? Let's review. <laughs> what did you have for two, Mom? Okay. So the second one is, is love is, love was exampled by Christ. That's one way you could put it. Christ exampled love. What did you have, Alice? Yeah, love was shown by Christ. What did you have for number one? Love is the very nature of Christ. Love is the very nature of God. It's the very nature. It's the very essence of who He is. In other words, if you're God's, you couldn't possibly not have love in your life because that, that that's just who He is. I mean, that that's well, I can't. God is love. God is love. Okay, so so you have them all. <laughs> okay, tell you what we're going to do right now. We're going to, I'm not going to take time to write. Number one is what, all together? Number one is love is the nature of God. It's the very essence of who he is. Okay, number two. Okay, love is shown by Christ. It was exampled by Jesus Christ. Number three. Love is our testimony. We talked, you'll never forget about the woman that they hauled in and said they thought she'd stole her own car, right? Because she had the wrong bumper sticker. Right, Mom? She's writing Okay, love is our testimony. Number four. See, I lost my stuff here. There we go. I'm getting there. Yeah, love is, love is the assurance of our salvation. And number five. Love is our confidence in judgment. Looking forward, we have a great deal of boldness. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. This is, a, this is a great thing. You know, Jesus Christ appeared here. He was tempted just like we are, and he knows what it feels like, but he never sinned. And we can come with that. The word that's used in Hebrews 4.16, you should write that verse down. That's a verse you need to know, Hebrews 4.16. You can come with boldness before the, before the throne of God in our time of need, and he will give us grace. That, that is a beautiful, sometimes you need to just, you, someday you need to just pray that verse. You're so caught between a wall and a, a, a rock and a hard place. You, you need to say, God, this is, this is what you said. This is what you said. And right now, I need you. Just, if it, I probably don't need you as much as I think I need you, but I need you more than I can handle right now. And he will, he will honor that verse, Hebrews 4.16. Okay, number six, the one you've been waiting for so we could wrap it up. And let's look at verses 19 through 21. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Number six, I'm, I'm, verse 19 to me, it's, is it, it's, just, it's really a review. But it's only, I'll just say it this way, love is reasonable. Love is reasonable. It's literally everything that's talked about. He loved us before we loved him. For us not to love after he's loved us is unreasonable. Love at very self as a Christian. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's the only reasonable solution. 
Okay, um, questions or comments? Nothing. Wow, even though we answered a lot of questions, you're really tired out. All right. But I think there's, some, there's something in this passage, and we probably did go a little quicker than maybe should have, but it's okay, I think. Uh, but 7 through 21. Let, 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 let's, let's, take, let's take the chapter now. Remember, what's, this verse, I really, it's becoming more and more and more impressed upon me as the way I need to live, and that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse. Let's go. I want you to find it in your Bibles, um, because there's something about finding in your own Bible that uh, makes it personal. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there. Ephesians 4.15. <clears throat> and I'd like to start, actually, this will tie in nicely. I was talking about spiritual gifts. You could start in verse 7 of that chapter yourselves, but I'm going to uh, start in verse 11, okay? Watch carefully. This, is, this talks a lot about what the, the, the going forward focus is. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. This is chapter 4, verse 11, Ephesians. And some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting or maturing of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. That's why he gave them. That's why he's giving you gifts. Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. That's ultimately at the very end and we're in glory. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man. Unto the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. Why? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. That should literally be our goal, speaking the truth in love. Now, in chapter 4 of 1 John, you don't need to go back anymore. In the first six verses, we talked a lot last week about false teachers, false prophets, those that say they're in Christ and they're really not. It's, it's easy for us then to speak. I mean, we want to speak the truth. We want to be very upfront with the truth. But verses 7 through 21 were a lot about love. I think that chapter probably just defines what in one, really one sentence Paul is talking about. Speak the truth in love. Today, we need our, the, the people we're coming in contact with, they need love and they need truth. They need both. And God is both. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. These are powerful things. I tell you, do you have a, a greater appreciation for First John? Yeah. This guy, I mean, he just brings it back and just hammers it just a little bit deeper every time. Third time's a charm on love. Okay, with that, let's just close in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the fact that you have enabled us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent him to finish a work that no one else could have accomplished. In fact, it was beyond our wildest imaginations when you really sat down to figure it out. And that's what should cause us today, anyone that does not know Christ, it should be so overwhelming, so disturbing in the sense of where we're headed. And that's the Holy Spirit working. That's the one that gives the true insight. But Father, once that, that conviction, that source of, of guilt comes upon us, then what do we do with it? Do we trust the Savior or do we just blow him off and just waddle down the road some more, waiting for another day, trying to put that behind us. No, Father, today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if there's someone here today that does not know you personally, Father, that you would work in the very hearts and minds of them today using the Holy Spirit to guide them, using the Word of God, the verses that we've even talked about today. For you want no one to perish. You want all to come to eternal life. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Father, there's, there's a powerful thing that you've done, you've accomplished, and we talk about love today. 
There's no greater love than what you've shown us through Jesus Christ. Where in his love, you loved us before we loved you. Amazing. And God, the eternal, sovereign God of the entire universe and beyond, of everything that would not even be known, and yet you chose the plan of salvation for mankind. Today, Father, I'd ask that you would help us because some of the things, the, the frustrations that we may feel as individuals here today, Father, is the fact that we don't love adequately all the time. And Father, it's going to be something that you will continue to instill in us moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, when we're focused on you, when we're really feeding the Spirit through the Word of God, when we're looking to see how Jesus Christ was our example, when we understand that it's truly just the very essence and nature of yourself pouring the floodgates of love open into our hearts, giving us capacity to love with unconditional love of the will. Father, that's how our lives are changed. May we yield to the Holy Spirit. May we be open to what you want us to do. Father, these people will come in contact with many other ones in different places of this week, places that only they have been destined to go. And we would ask that their lives would be a testimony because love is just that. But ask that you give them strength, especially over the one that's seeking whom he may devour, even though we can never become his that are in Christ. He can literally seek to destroy and to tear and to maim and to discourage. Father, may we put on the whole armor of, of God. Put on all of the warfare gear that you've given to us. May we have the, the sword of the Spirit, especially the Word of God, firmly rooted in our minds and someplace where we know what it says in the Word to be able to use that when we're in a weak moment. Father, I know that you love us. and Father, you have poured your love into us. I just pray for these that are so faithful and dear to me and how this, this body is such a loving, loving set of people. We would ask that you would continue to use them moment by moment, day by day. And may we be conformed to the image of your Son. Thank you for what you're accomplishing. And we just love First John, Father. It's so real, so authentic, so on target on in a world that's really gone wrong. May the difference in our lives because of what you've done and what you're doing make a difference. Thank you for what you're doing in Christ's name. Amen.